Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Senior Pastor Matt Homeyer. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. pray for us as we uh, begin this morning. God, we are so thankful to be here today. We're thankful for these young musicians sharing their giftedness with us um, that is both given from you and the result of of much practice and much training for them and their parents, their teachers. Uh, For all of that, we are thankful for those gifts that glorify you. God, speak to us now as we have need. Honor, Holy Spirit, the coming together of your people. In your name we pray, amen. We are continuing today our series in Acts this summer. We're calling Poured Out, where we're tracing the movement of the Spirit throughout the book of Acts. And and we've been kind of in some mini-series in this overall series. We talked about the Spirit's coming and the initial formation of the church for a few weeks. For the last three weeks, we've talked about three different profiles in Acts, stories of three different uh, people or groups of people, uh, duos, and how the Spirit moved through their life. And, and what we talked about is the Spirit surprising movement, that these people that would have been traditionally for hundreds of years, of years outsiders to the ways of God are brought to become insiders to the ways of God. We had uh, the Ethiopian eunuch saved through, through the ministry of the Spirit in the presence of Philip. We had Saul, this great persecutor of the church, blinded by God in a vision and becomes the chief missionary of the church, which we'll deal with Paul today and over Saul who becomes Paul in the next couple of weeks. We dealt last week with Peter and Cornelius, this Roman centurion uh, who, who had an interest of God through the divine orchestration of the Spirit between he and Peter is brought near to God in faith. And we talked about this powerful, surprising movement of the Spirit of God that can't be controlled by human means, that can't be strategized by the best missionaries and church strategists among us, that all we can do is really to watch for the Spirit's movement, to listen for the Spirit's movement, and do our dead level best to keep up with where the Spirit is moving. You're probably getting tired of me saying that by now. And if you are getting tired, that means it's starting to work. You're starting to remember it and recognize it, and that's part of the goal. Well, what happens in an organization, in a business, in a church, when a lot of change happens very quickly? Does it always go smoothly and it's just one big line on the graph, up and up and up and ease? No, there's disagreement. Sabotage is is part of the system and and those that are are less amenable to change or those who worked hard for the change of a previous generation or or those who who just want to make sure this is a work of the Spirit and not some fad. There becomes sometimes some disagreement in the trouble. I know we've not experienced this, but I've heard this, right, in other organizations and other churches. The next few weeks, couple weeks, We're going to really talk about what happens 
among this very diverse group of people that were conditioned from an early age in many instances to dislike and distrust one another, what happens when they come together as the church and the Spirit does a wonderful work among them and yet they're trying to figure out how to do this together? What are the rules of this new movement? Who's in and who's out and how do we incorporate who was out and now in? How do we live together in the midst of our diversity, in the midst of our differences in this new day, in this new world? And we'll look and learn from the early church and how they dealt with their differences. This is a continual challenge for the church. We are a diverse group of people. We come from differing ages and differing backgrounds and differing places and we're men and we're women and we've got babies and we've got people coming in on walkers and all points at in between. I remember in our church in Marble Falls, we had a lot more people on walkers than we had babies. And Brooks was the first baby born in the church and by the time he could walk, he would just run into this church full of people on walkers and I just knew <laughs> there was going to be this disaster, but it was also such a beautiful look at the church of the new generation and the oldest generation coming together as one. It's a challenge. How do we remain focused? How do we remain laser focused on the mission of the church? The mission of the church, however we define it, being to baptize people and make disciples. The, the mission, the vision of this church to help seekers become believers and believers become disciples. We'll talk a lot about that in September. How do we become, remain laser focused on the church in the middle of being a very diverse people that with differing backgrounds, different beliefs, differing perspectives? Some have been following Christ for decades. Some of us are very new to this journey. How do we resist the temptation to go this way, to go that way, to focus on the differences and disagreements uh, among us, to focus, get in the weeds of what's going on and sometimes unintentionally damper the fire of the Holy Spirit that's moving in our midst. There's always this temptation to drift off mission, to focus on the little differences. We left Peter and Cornelius in Acts 10 last week. As we look at this early church and how they remain focused on the mission, on the ministry, on the fellowship, on being unified in the midst of their diversity and what we can learn from them. We'll be in Acts 15 today. We left off in Acts 10 last week. Between Acts 10 and 15, we see the Holy Spirit continuing to be on the move. No surprise as Acts, as John Chrysostom said, is the gospel of the Holy Spirit. The church continues to expand and, and new people are added to the number. And there's Jews that are coming, Jewish people that are coming to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And there's, there's Romans and there's Greeks and there's this whole uh, kind of hodgepodge of Gentiles, of non-Jewish people hearing this message of Jesus and responding in faith. And the gospel is spreading out from Jerusalem. We saw it in Caesarea two weeks ago, 125 miles out from Jerusalem. Now we're up in Antioch, Antioch, which will become really the, the center of the missionary movement. The center of the church over time will drift from Jerusalem up to Antioch. But right now, 290 miles or so north of Jerusalem, it's a new movement. Jerusalem is still the mother church. And they're doing wild things like, commissioning missionaries. 
and making decisions that affect the whole broad church. The church is established at Antioch. Antioch becomes a second center. Uh, there will be this jumping off point. And what they do, the Holy Spirit in one of their prayer meetings identifies Paul, Saul, it's called different names in these chapters, and Barnabas for ministry. The Holy Spirit in their prayer meeting sets them apart for this and the church lays hands on them and Paul and Barnabas are set out on what will become known historically in church history as the first of the missionary journeys and they wander around the area spreading the gospel, sharing the message of Jesus. They go to Cyrus, they go to Pisidia, to Iconium, Lystra, back to Antioch. Antioch becomes the hub from which they launch, from where they go back along with Jerusalem. And amazingly, regardless of background, regardless of pedigree, the Spirit moves in the same power among all who call on the name of Jesus. We shouldn't gloss over that too quickly. Even though we've talked about it a lot, we should still be a little bit amazed that not just in, in Jewish believers, not just in those that have followed God as best they knew how, and now there's a new revelation, but those that were far from God who had never heard of God, the Spirit pours down on them like at Pentecost in the same proportion, in the same amount, in the same power as those who were Jewish and had followed God closely for some time. And so at Antioch, they're led into the church. The Holy Spirit comes down on you and is shown in you. You are part of the church. But word gets back down to Jerusalem, 290 miles south. And what had happened in Jerusalem, perhaps other places as well, is several of those who had been Pharisees, were Pharisees, and were deeply concerned, if you remember with the ministry of Jesus, deeply concerned with following the letter of the law, following the law of Jesus. And in their best form, they were wanting people to follow God as God had laid out in Scripture in Leviticus in the Old Testament. They deeply cared for the covenant God had made with his people that their people would hold that faithfully. And they look up at Antioch and they see all of these new people coming in and they're not being circumcised. They're not eating the right things. They're not, circumcision in this text kind of becomes the overarching issue for a lot of other issues, the most important one. In short, they're being baptized and receiving the Holy Spirit, but they're not becoming Jewish. They're not following all of the law that God laid forth. And so they get a little upset. And this contingent is sent up that 290-mile journey from Jerusalem up to Antioch to check things out. And that's where we come to our text today. Word of all that was going on had drifted down to the mothership, and they come to check it out. How could Jerusalem know if they could trust those jokers way up north? So this was still important to, to notice, a Jewish movement at this point. These early followers of Jesus didn't consider themselves something separate from, from the Jewish religion, the Jewish movement. They saw themselves as a movement within Judaism, as one of the new things happening within this long, long movement. And so when this Jerusalem group gets up to Antioch and Paul and Barnabas and this group begin to talk about this is a nice way to say that. 
An argument breaks out. It probably gets a little boisterous. There's a lot of sharp people in this conversation and there's a sharp disagreement and it becomes apparent very, very quickly. Neither Paul nor Barnabas nor this group from Jerusalem has the power, has the authority, has the wisdom maybe to make the final decision on this. We're gonna get to this again in a minute, but it's very important. They don't make this decision and then go off their own merry way. They appeal, sort of, it's not a court system, but they kind of appeal down to the mother church in Jerusalem. And so all of them involved in this conversation, again, make that 290 journey, 290 mile journey down south to Jerusalem, where they meet with the apostles, those that are in town of the original 12, or the 12 minus one plus one, 12. And thank you for a little math jokes, always nice. That's simple additions, the highest math I get and the elders. The whole church isn't involved in this. They appeal to the main leaders, the established, recognized leaders of the church. And, and, and Peter is there, and they have a, a long, it seems like, some conversation about it. And then finally, Peter stands up. Peter, who was known by the church. Peter, who had been one of the, the inside group that followed Jesus. Peter of Peter and Cornelius. And he seems to retell that story of Peter and Cornelius and says, don't you know, we're now saved by the grace of Jesus. In other words, you know, why would we add any extra burden to what Jesus had already done? Why would we add any extra qualifications or rules or hoops to jump through when we're not even able to do this? Why would we add that? And the group, is rendered silent by the witness of Peter. And then James stands up. James, the brother of Jesus. James, the established, recognized leader of the church of Jerusalem. We know more about Peter because he's in the Gospels. James is not one of the 12, but James becomes the recognized leader of the church in Jerusalem. James was an astoundingly competent and faithful leader in his own right, really outshone the apostles in the early leadership of the church. And he said, he quotes Amos and quotes this very specific passage of Amos where it said, the church, the people of God, not the church, the people of God will one day be rebuilt among the righteous remnant of Israel, those that are proven faithful after exile and after so many things, and Gentiles who call on the name of the Lord. And very carefully, this passage doesn't mention adherence to law just that it will be built by this righteous remnant and this Gentiles who call on the name of God. And he says that we should not force circumcision, read the law on Gentiles, but should ask them not to eat meat sacrificed to idols and some other things, not to eat meat that has been strangled, blood, things like that. These may seem odd, these last things added in, but if Gentile believers did these things, then they would be unable to eat with the Jewish believers in the church. They would be unable to be in fellowship. So this last little accommodation is really an accommodation not of faithfulness, but of fellowship. 
that we won't add the whole law, but Gentiles, if you could do these things, it will maintain unity of fellowship. You all, Jews and Gentiles together, can still eat together, can still be in one church together. We're avoiding schism and split here through this. Friends, this is the continual challenge of the church that I said. We're a diverse group. Maybe not as diverse as we could be, maybe not as diverse as we hope sometime, but, but even in a group that looks a lot the same sometimes, when we get into it, of opinions, of backgrounds, of how long we've been following Christ, of, of where we grew up, of our political beliefs inevitably come into these things. Any, how long we've been following Christ, how we grew up, men, women, age, all of the differences between us, there are so many things, so many potential obstacles that can wreck the unity of the body of Christ. They come up regularly, and often they're very important things that we must discern together. But, but here's the lesson of this text. One of the lessons it passes down, the one we're commenting on today, that the Holy Spirit will always provide the spiritual resources, the way forward that prevents Christ's church from being destroyed. That if we have wisdom among leaders, if we have ears among all of us to listen to the Spirit's guiding, there is always a path forward where the Holy Spirit makes. There are always the resources available to avoid division, to avoid uh, breaking in two or three or four, and that often lead us, the conflict itself leads us to greater, renewed, empowered ministry. I think we can look at this text and see a few things that jump out to us, that we might learn from, that we might look to. First, they relied on the leadership heavily. Paul and Barnabas, despite their ministry, the group from Jerusalem, even though they were sent north to, to investigate, it seems like they're sent. Maybe they went on their own. It's a little confused there. It's generally believed they were sent. They neither decide this on their own on an island. They neither go their own way and said, well, whatever you think, I'm doing my own thing. They, they make this very long, arduous journey back to the mother church, to the apostles and the elders, the, the recognized leaders at the time, those who were closest to Jesus, those who had the most history, even though it was very brief, of leading this movement and holding it together, and they defer to their opinion. Now, I know a few of you are thinking, yeah, the pastor wants us to trust the leadership. Of course he does. We've seen this play out before. But y'all, this isn't about elected leadership or called leadership or official leadership. But think back to some of the debates you've observed in the history of this church or any church. Whether they are called and elected and hired, whether they are in official leadership, whether they are not, there are always men and women in the church imbibed with wisdom. They almost rarely speak loud, I would say they never speak first and they rarely, if ever, speak the most. But think back to important decisions. Think back to time when you have seen wisdom at work in the church. There are men and women that allow the rest of us to talk, but suddenly when they speak, 
clarity comes for the whole group. They have a talent, a gift from God, a spiritual insight to see an argument, to see the whole of a discussion, to summarize it, and to pierce to the truth of the matter that helps the rest of us know the way forward. We would do well, church, when differences do come up among us, to listen to those who embody wisdom, who the Spirit has made wise, whether we have elected them or not, or they're currently in a position or not. They are among us, and I'm betting a name or two, a face or two or three. They may be old, they may be young, they may be men, they may be women, they may have been here for decades, or they may have just arrived on the scene, but when they speak, when they act, we see the wisdom of the Spirit of God at work. They trust to the wisdom those who have been gifted with wisdom among them. We've talked a lot about in our Wednesday Bible study that God gifts to the church, Christ gifts to the church. In Ephesians 4, 11 through 14, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, these are those apostle-type groups gifted with wisdom to lead the church. So that's what we see, this commitment to listen to leadership, to allow those wise in discernment to discern the way forward. Two, each group in this gives up something to to be in fellowship with the other group. This wasn't set up to be clear winners and losers. They weren't setting this up to say, however this vote goes, if it's 60-40, you're out and they're in. Winners, losers. No, they, they discern the spirit together. Friends, if we ever get in positions in church when we're taking votes, when we're naming change, when we're moving forward together, and there's a very clear winner and a very clear loser group, then we have to wonder if we've missed the Spirit's leading in discernment. The Spirit has a way of taking us through disagreement, through difference, to a place of reconciliation, to a place of deeper relationship, not a place of division and schism. Though there's plenty of division and schism, in the whole breadth of church history. Those that believed in circumcision, it doesn't go their way. But there's no report of them picking up their toys and going somewhere else. For all that we can tell throughout the rest of the New Testament and church history, that group remains in the church. And maybe they don't change immediately quickly, but they remain committed. They they stay in. That's important. The group that technically won the argument, those non-Jewish believers, they adapt their diet at the request of the church, not the order, at the request, so that fellowship might be remained. There's no gloating here, at least that we can tell. There's no rubbing it in anyone's face. There's this group that has discerned the spirit of God together, the spirit's movement, and is seeking to be reconciled and seeking to see not how I can exert my rights, but how how can I bend so that we might be together and we might be in ministry together. It's such a beautiful sign. So often, conflict that we're scared of, when entered into healthily and in the spirit, becomes the impetus for new mission in ministry. It becomes the launching pad for a new movement of the Spirit instead of that which would destroy us. This is so for the church in this instance. Third, I do think we see a pattern. And lastly, it was in Peter and Cornelius. 
It was in Philip and the Ethiopian. We see it here today. The Spirit does something new. The Spirit does something they weren't expecting, that they didn't know could be done by God, would be done by God. The Spirit repeats the experience in one or more people. This isn't just one person that has an ecstatic experience and expects everyone else to come along. No, it's repeated, and in most cases, repeated multiple times, sometimes over a wide geography. So the, the Spirit is consistent is what I'm saying, and repetitive in new movements. If there's a new movement, it will be spotted multiple places, not just in one minor place. So it's spirit does something new. It's repeated, and then it is tested through Scripture. You can almost hear this Jerusalem council, as this meeting is called, flipping through the Rolodex of Scripture in their minds and going, is this in here anywhere? (laughs) Do I see this anywhere? And coming on this one relatively minor text in Amos that is mentioned by others as tested by Scripture of this is here. It's a minority strain to be sure, but it's here. A spiritual experience. Confirmed, witnessed, experienced by others, tested by Scripture, these lenses through which we look to test whether something is a new movement of God, a new work of the Spirit, a new ministry to be about, or whether it is something that we should perhaps be more suspect of. Friends, these are good sermons to give in peacetime, when things are going well. Kind of like last week, don't hear me say, all right, now we're calling to a vote something in two weeks and we need you all to be on board. That's not what this is at all. We're not setting up a specific change. But there will be things that come up in our future. In August and September in 2024, 2027, who knows? But if we are following the Spirit together, there will be things that come up that we have to make hard decisions on. It's sure a lot easier and more effective to talk about how we do that when the decision isn't pressing, so that our imaginations and our habits and our practices are shaped so that we can handle it when it does come. When it comes, no. The Holy Spirit will provide the resources among us to carry us through to vital ministry. The Spirit of God will provide a way for for what could divide us to become the launch pad for new and greater things, for decisions to be made, whatever those decisions are, that move this church forward along its mission, for for seekers to become believers, for believers to become disciples, for all of us to move more deeply in, further up, further in, in the words of Lewis, to this walk with Christ. We must listen to one another and seek out the wise voices among us, which also means tuning out the noise from time to time so that we can hear wisdom. We must seek to bend to the the desires, the wants, the personalities of one another instead of entrenching and digging in and saying, I'll go this far and no further. No, to see each other as brothers and sisters whom we love and whom we will bend and move toward in order to seek discernment. And we will watch for the Spirit's movement and do our dead level best to follow when and where the Spirit leads. Let me pray for us, friends. God, we trust to the work of your Spirit. 
We sense, we feel your Spirit's movement among us, God. We sense, we have said many times in recent months that we feel God is on the move in this place, which is just a way of saying, we see, we hear, we sense your Holy Spirit stirring among us. God, give us hearts, give us minds, give us souls that will seek your mission, your ministry, your fellowship among us, that will not sweep disagreement and difference under the rug, that will not run from it as it's our enemy, but welcome disagreements when they come as a means of growing closer together, as a tool for discerning your spirit. May we do so in love, following closely to you in all things. We hope you enjoyed your segment of the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with senior pastor Matt Homeyer. Join us next week for another segment. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org.